Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, a ministry of Word of Life Church, located in Lesseur, Minnesota. From sermon audio to midweek content and much more, we hope you are blessed by what you hear. For more information or to donate, please visit wordoflifemn.com. Now, enjoy this week's episode. Make sure that I... Oh, here we go. Okay, good. All right. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> okay. So I have to say right up at the top, um, that I've been really nervous about preaching this message like all week. Uh, it, it's not because like I'm new to public speaking. I've been doing that for years. It's not because I'm new to preaching because I've been doing that for a while. It's not because this topic is particularly scandalous or provocative or anything like that. I think it's because I think this topic that we're going to cover today may hit home in ways that you're not expecting. I don't know about you, like if you come to church on a Sunday morning and your prayer is like, Lord, like speak to me in a way, you know, speak to me something different that I'm not expecting. For me, I can't imagine a more prescient subject than what we're going to talk about this morning. And the weight of that has made me nervous all weekend. I think I called Pastor Jay like multiple times this week. I'm like, hey, okay, am I navigating this right? And like, anyway, I want to start this morning by sharing an article with you out of the Washington Post. Uh, it was kind of a, it was an article about former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. Uh, it was, it was a, about a, an article that Dr. Murthy had written, and then they kind of interview him as well. <clears throat> That's what it says. When people think of the public health issues that have been pet priorities for surgeon generals, physical health concerns usually come to mind. Uh, smoking, immunizations, obesity, preventing the spread of the AIDS virus. But Vivek Murthy, who was Surgeon General from 2014 to 2017, added emotional well-being and loneliness to his list of big public health worries. Now he's writing about the impact the workplace has on those issues, taking his concerns to employers and speaking out about how the loneliness epidemic plays out on the job. In a Harvard Business Review article, Murthy writes that we live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, yet rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. Later on in the article, they asked Dr. Murthy, you know, what inspired you to take on this issue of loneliness? He said this, when you look at the data, what's really interesting is loneliness has been found to be associated with the reduction of lifespan. The reduction in lifespan for loneliness is similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And it's greater than the impact of li on lifespan than obesity. So you think about how much we put into curbing tobacco use and obesity compared to how much effort and resources we put into addressing loneliness, 
There's no comparison. If you look even deeper, you'll find loneliness is associated with a greater risk of heart disease, depression, anxiety, and dementia. And if you look at the workplace, you'll also find it's associated with reductions in task performance. It limits creativity and impairs other aspects of executive function, such as decision-making. You know, one of the interesting things that I find about that article is that it was written in 2017 before the word epidemic had a whole new meaning for any of us that ever heard of coronaviruses or stay-at-home orders. See, loneliness in this country has been a major issue for years, and COVID-19 has only exasperated that. I think it's important to point that out heading into our text this morning. You see, we've been studying the life of David over the last month or so, and you can't talk about David unless you talk about David's best friend, Jonathan. You see, Jonathan was the son of Saul, the king of Israel. And we see the the language spelled out about David and Jonathan's friendship in 1 Samuel 18. That's where we're going to start today. Actually, we're going to start a couple of verses earlier in, at the tail end of one of the most famous passages in, in all of Scripture. Now, Pastor Jay spoke on David and Goliath a couple of weeks ago, and I don't say it as well as he did. Something about dead, dead, and cut the head, and, and all this stuff. But we're, we're coming at the end of that story. Chapter 17, verse 55, and it says this. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, that would be Goliath, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Here ends the reading of God's word. You know, um, in my short preaching career that I've had, Usually, um, when I've been asked to preach, uh, I get, um, I'll, I'll say like, uh, oh, okay, you know, what, what text do you want me to preach on? And usually, like nine times out of ten, it's like, I right, like, whatever, you choose. Okay, so usually I choose texts that are like, 
that made me feel really good. That like pumped me up. Um, uh, I love preaching on like the prodigal son, um, just stuff that like gets me really um, excited and, and like walking out of church feeling really good about myself. And then I came across this text this week, and and we see throughout the canon, <clears throat> excuse me, the canon of scripture of people in scripture having different reactions to God's word. Especially we see that with David. For me, I think I had a different reaction to this text because when I read this, I have to admit to you, like I felt a little nauseated. And I want to tell you why. Number one, when I read about the friendship of David and Jonathan, Initially, for me, it sounded really cheesy, okay? Like, think about it for a second. Like, these guys, they, they basically become best friends, like, overnight. And, and like, the, not even just best friends, like, the best of friends. So much so that later on in 1 Samuel, Saul and Jonathan, they go to battle, and they end up dying in battle. And when David hears about it, he, he laments, right? This is a very Old Testament thing. He laments. And in his lament, he talks about the love of his friendship with Jonathan as being a deeper love than one that he had with his wives. A different one, but a deeper one. And when I read that, I was like, oh, It sounds cheesy, but I think, I, I think it sounded cheesy because of the second point. I think when we read about David and Jonathan, at least to our ears as Americans in 2021, it sounds really unrelatable. It's just different how, than how we operate as Americans. And, and research would, would show that it's really different than how we operate as American men. <clears throat> There's been a lot of research on this in the past couple of decades. And it all points to the fact, and I don't think, by the way, I don't think this is specifically a male problem. I just think this is especially a male problem. Does that make sense? I don't think it's specifically like it's just women have no issue with this. I just think men have more of an issue with this. That the older men get, the more they let their close male friendships fall by the side of the road. <clears throat> in his book, and I think this is a great title for a book, called Bowling Alone, right? The, the last communal sport in America, bowling. In his book, Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam puts it this way. Drawing on evidence, including nearly 500,000 interviews over the past quarter century, shows that we as Americans... <clears throat> sign fewer petitions, belong to fewer organizations that meet, know our neighbors less, meet with friends less frequently, and even socialize with our families less often. We're even bowling alone. I don't mean to keep throwing newspaper articles at you, but like if you go home today and you just Google, like if you type into Google News loneliness, um, like you're going to be just hit with a blizzard of articles. Articles that were written mostly in the last four years and actually specifically during the pandemic. People have been writing about loneliness a lot lately. Uh, recently, um, 
Recently in the Washington Post, they interviewed uh, a psychologist out of NYU named Niobe Wei. Dr. Wei was asked because, um, I don't know if you know this, uh, they had interviewed a number of of men and they found that 80% of male relationships, if you were going to ask like, what's the like, the commonality, what's the glue, like why are you friends with this person? 80% of male relationships are centered around either participating in or watching sports. Well, with stay-at-home orders and, and, and sports kind of like being on hold and starting and stopping, Dr. Wei was asked, like, how, did, how has the pandemic affected male friendships? That's what Dr. Wei said. In this time of unprecedented isolation, many men have been forced to change the way they think about their friendships and to connect in newer, deeper ways. I think they're being forced uh, I think they're being forced to for survival. For example, in normal times, it never dawned on one of the men interviewed to ask one of his friends to just go for a walk, just to chat, something his wife has been doing with her female friends for her entire life. In the past month, the subject had gone on three walks with male friends, and he plans on continuing to make it a regular thing at lunchtime uh, in their local park. It's totally logical, he said. Why wouldn't we do this? As we look at the friendship of David and Jonathan, I think we see something totally different from most of our interactions in the world. We see a friendship that is so deeply rooted in what the theologian Dr. Scott Keith says is a genuinely human life. A life in which we live outside ourselves. A life that is just gladly caught up in the web of another's life. Where we can love and serve them in moments of self-forgetfulness. When we look at our text today in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. That word knit is a really interesting word in the Old Testament. It describes the bond between David and Jonathan, not only of the intensity of their friendship, but in the way that their friendship was rooted Deeply in a life of love, a life, as Dr. Keith would say, being human. The word for knit is is found in other places in the Old Testament. Um, For example, it uh, is used uh, to describe the relationship that Jacob has with his youngest son, Benjamin. So you think about this loving relationship of a father to a son. Uh, It's used again uh, when when God is describing to the Israelites how they should approach the word of the Lord. It talks about, um, sometimes in our translations, we say binding the word to their foreheads and to their wrists. It's the same word here as knit. He saw, Jonathan saw in David a reflection of who he himself was. This recognition pulled him outside himself and bound him to another. 
it simultaneously emptied and filled him. Emptied himself of a life all about him and filled him with the life of another. You see, this kind of friendship that David and Jonathan have, it puts us in a vulnerable spot because it requires you to be honestly empty in front of someone that frankly most of us don't desire. The famous author Brene Brown put it this way, we as Americans live by the law of thou thou shalt be needed, but never needy. We'll say that again. We as Americans live by this law of, of thou shalt be needed. You should always be on call for your friends, but thou shalt never be needy. You're never the one who's going to make the call. And I think it's this this self-imposed law that we put on ourselves that's killing opportunities for friendship. Think about that word needy for a second. It's, It's kind of a loaded word. We actually, we use that word as like a derogatory, right? You ever think about someone who like, it's just annoying you and you're like, oh man, like they're so needy. But I think it's the fear of being in need as one of the major contributors to our own loneliness. A loneliness that I said earlier, the data shows is killing us faster than a pack of cigarettes a day. So where does that leave us? Like, are we just doomed to short lives and long-term loneliness? I pray that we're not. And, And I'm hopeful that we're not because of one thing. The work of Christ on the cross you see, deep friendships are, are, are a glimpse of heaven for us. In David and Jonathan's case, it was the bond of love between them was higher than what the way David says was higher than the, the bond between a man and a woman. Describes it as wonderful, extraordinary, surpassing all expectation. It's this kind of, of, of love this friendship that actually mirrors even more closely the love of God for his people. That friendship of David and Jonathan's, that was a gift from God designed to enable David and Jonathan to experience in their friendship an earthly reflection of God's love for Israel. At the same time, it was a gift for them so that they could grow into both being love givers and love receivers. They were made to be as those crafted in the image of the loving God. In the friendship of David and Jonathan, therefore, the the Lord has given us an example of what the bond between friends enacts in two people. They are tied together. They are knit together in a way, such a way that one soul mirrors the others. And when that happens, that mirroring pulls us out of ourselves. 
It shows us who we truly are. It shows us that we're, we are in need. And the reception of the love of another, we see too the love of Christ, the son of David, toward us. My friends, as we, as we close this morning, the problem of loneliness is not a simple problem. And I'm not offering a simple solution. I'm not here to offer you like three keys to not feeling lonely and then like patting myself on the back as I walk out like, hey, okay, we solved loneliness today. No, no, no. I'm, I just want to start a conversation. But I think that conversation does first start with the recognition of our own need. Our need for connection. For a spiritual connection that allows us to pour ourselves into others while also being honest enough to say that we need the same thing. To be able to look at another person and realize that they are probably going through the same problems that I face. And we can, I think we can admit it. Life is just better if we do it together. To be able to see all of this through the lens of the cross. That it is only through the love of God that we are equipped to reach out. How much more should we as Christians reach out to others? Because Christ first reached out to you. He is reaching out to you again this morning. In a moment here, we're about to come before the Lord's table to literally come into communion. My friends, God loves you so much. Let's have friendships and relationships with each other and outside of this building that mirror that. That we may experience a side of God's love that most of us are missing. So come, come this morning to the table and get a taste, a glimpse of God's grace for us. And we're going to do it together as friends. Heavenly Father, at every prayer we can just start off with, thank you for loving us. When we, when we think of it in this light, God, it, it means so much more and, and, and such a different thing. God, thank you for being friends with us. Thank you for equipping us to, to love the folks around us with your love. God, thank you for equipping us to receive your love from the people around us as well. And I pray as we examine our hearts that we would see the need that we have for connection. The need that we have for your love. Not that you aren't loving us and now we ask for it and you are for the recognition that you have loved us from day one. God, as we come to your table this morning, 
pour your grace on us. And God, as we leave this building today, equip us to pour that grace onto others. I pray this in the name of the Son of David, the name of Jesus. Amen.